chapter 15. Job chapter 15. Um, so what we've seen um, so far... So far. So far. What we've seen up until this point... Um, we have seen um, Eliphaz, Zophar and Bildad, Job's three friends, one after the other, just absolutely batter Job. Um, we know from the conversation we've seen in heaven that Job is not suffering because of a sin that he's committed. He's not suffering because he's sinful. If anything, he's suffering because he is upright. The Bible tells us that Job is an upright man. He is somebody who eschews evil. Is somebody who stays away from evil. Who wants nothing to do with evil. And um, we see Satan looking at Job. So much so that God says to Satan, Ah, you've got your eyes on my servant Job. And that's kind of the rhetorical question God is asking Job. Has to, uh, God is asking Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? Because God knows that Satan has been watching Job. And Satan's response is, Job is only serving you because of what you've given him. Job is only serving you because of what he's got. So God allows Satan to take everything away. Um, Satan takes everything away from a, um, a, a physical point of view, from a material point of view, from a family point of view, from a health point of view. And... Job still refuses to blame God and curse God. His wife even said to him, curse God and die. And he said, naked came into the world, naked will I go out of the world. Um, the Lord gave, the Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we see Job's three friends turn up and Job's three friends were brilliant right up until the point that they started speaking. As soon as they started to give advice, then things started to go a little bit pear-shaped because they just added fuel to the fire. And um, what we looked at over the last couple of weeks, in, verse, in chapters 12, 13 and 14, we see Job's response to um, Bildad's speech. And Bildad was literally the worst out of uh, Zophar, sorry, he was the worst out of the three of them. They just got worse and worse and worse. Eliphaz was, was first, and you thought, blimey, this guy's not pulling any punches. Then um, Bildad um, started speaking, and he was worse than Eliphaz. And then Zophar literally said, Job, you haven't suffered enough. Um, you pretty much deserve what you got, but you, know, you got off lightly. And we've seen Job's response to that in, in chapters 12, 13. And 14. And Job, you kind of see Job gaining in confidence as he fixes his eyes upon the Lord. We, we saw that in uh, one of the chapters, Job's um, response to um, Zophar's speech was the fact that God was supreme. He was supreme when it came to creation, he was supreme when it came to circumstances, he was supreme. And you see Job's confidence building. And then last week, we saw um, the fact that our days are few. Um, Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job basically said it's something that we all know. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And the one thing that is guaranteed in this life is a time of trouble. Uh, at some point, we are going to face uh, maybe financial difficulty, maybe a health issue, maybe a death of a loved one. So we understand that at some point in our lives, 
we'll have faced some kind of hurt and pain and heartache. And you kind of feel like Job has just found his stride. Uh, and uh, let me ask you something. How many of you like boxing? Anybody actually like watching boxing? I, I never quite understood boxing, but um, you know, I, I recognise the fact that it's probably one of the, the, the sports where you've got to be really fit um, to be a boxer. And um, I do like boxing films. You can't beat a bit of Rocky. I mean, I do like Rocky, you know, it's fair play. Um, I've been on those steps in Philadelphia, awesome. Um, but you, what, what you see about that, you, you see this, you know, this poor guy getting hounded and battered and he kind of falls to the, the, the canvas and you just can't wait for that bell to ring just to give you some precious seconds to go into your corner and, and to grab your breath and you find like the trainer's there and he's throwing water over them and you think, right, just as they're about to get their breath, the bell goes, it's like second out, round, round two, and off they go again, and there's not quite enough chance to get their breath. And that's what I feel like has happened to Job here. He's just kind of got into the stride of, his, of, of, of throwing his punches. He's been knocked down to the canvas. He's in the corner, and then all of a sudden, before he's able to catch his breath, it's like round two, and we're going to have Eliphaz's speech uh, in chapter 15. Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou canst offer and restrain us prayer before God, for thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue, choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, mine own lips testify against thee do you is there somebody in your life that you know exactly what to say to them to cause them kind of like the most hurt let's we put it this way you know what buttons to push you know that if you said something, you would say the exact thing that would cause them to be like wound up or um, I was actually doing it to Eve in the car coming down tonight and I was like, oh, this will work quite well in our, in our Bible study. We drove past, <laughs> we drove past, we drove past the church in Porth and she's like, oh, that says California Free Church. I was like, no, it says Calvaria Free Church, not California. And then I start singing Hotel Calvaria and Calvaria Dreaming. And, and, and he was like, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I just knew, and I know that's awful. And she's only home for two days. And she's like, I can't wait to go back to Swansea. But you kind of know what buttons to push. Eliphaz knows exactly what buttons to push when it comes to getting under Job's skin. And we have exactly the same buttons as Christians. If someone was to mention this to us, we would become hurt, uh, defensive, um, whatever it is. Satan knows what buttons to push when it comes to our walk with the Lord. He knows how to affect our, our fighting ability. You know, sometimes we feel like we could go 15 rounds with him and then sometimes we feel like we couldn't even get through the three minutes of the first round. 
he knows exactly what button to push to discourage us, to get us beaten down, to the fact that we hit the canvas and we, we don't want to get back up again. And I wonder how many Christians have literally stopped fighting, have literally stepped out of the race because the devil has used certain people to push the right buttons. Uh, it doesn't take much to discourage us as believers. I mean, you know, anybody who's, who's preached or who stood in the pulpit has stood after a sermon and listened to somebody come out. They may say something in jest. They may say something quite innocent. It doesn't take much to knock a preacher off his kind of, huh, you feel like, oh, I, th- I think that message went okay. I think I got my point across. And one person might say something completely, not intentionally, and all of a sudden, the wind is knocked out of your sails. Every Monday, you kind of most preachers give up on a Monday. They're like, that's it. I'm never doing this again. I don't know why God called me into the ministry. I'm not doing this ever. And I wonder how many church members uh, have been discouraged because Satan has known what button to push. I wonder how many church members have been used by the devil to actually push those buttons. And I wonder, when we look at Eliphaz, as he beats down Job and he pushes those buttons, if we can kind of take a look at this and say, right, okay, we need to be careful when we speak to people. We need to be careful with what we say and, and how we say it and to be the point where we build people up instead of tearing people down. Satan uses Eliphaz to push Job's buttons, as it were, and we as Christians have the same buttons. The first button Joe, um, Satan pushes is in terms of Job's value. Um, basically, um, Eliphaz is saying to Job, you're worthless. You, you have no value. You, 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 you don't know what you are talking about. Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? He says in verse 5, For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thine own mouth condemneth thee, not I. Don't blame me, Job. You are the one who is condemning yourself. Thine own lips testify against thee. What Eliphaz is doing here, even though he's attacking Job's speech, what he's actually saying is, Job, you were worthless. Because what you were saying doesn't matter. What you were saying has no profit at all. And he's just saying, your words actually reveal that you are a sinful man. Um, Eliphaz basically says, look, somebody who's wise wouldn't speak this way. Um, what would you do if somebody said that to you? What, if, what would you do and how would you feel if somebody basically told you to keep your mouth shut because what you have to say is not important? Um, and that's really frustrating, you know, when you're trying to to get your point across and somebody won't let you talk. It devalues you when you kind of, you can feel yourself getting frustrated then because you, the kid, you know, I, I know I did it when I was younger. I know the kids have done it when they got in trouble and they're trying to speak and you kind of, you're so busy giving them a row that they're trying to explain themselves and justify what they've done or kind of say, look, it wasn't that way. And, and because they can't speak, they get more and more worked up and this just reminds us that we need to be careful what we say let me tell you something some of the most fragile people in this world are christians it does not take much 
to say the wrong thing for somebody to leave the church. I've seen so many people leave the church because, oh, so-and-so said so. And it might have been said in complete innocence. Something might have been said that wasn't intended that way, and we're not going there again, that the so-called Christians, and off they go. We are, we're fragile people. It doesn't take much to upset us. It doesn't take much to hurt us. But what we need to be reminded of is that we need to be careful in how we speak. It doesn't mean we've got to overanalyze everything that we say, but we just need to re- remember that we don't want our words to be misrepresented. We don't want our words to be used against us. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Colossians, Paul said to the church of Colossae, let your speech always be seasoned with grace, um, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. When it comes to the issue of, of our value, of what we are worth, um, it's important to, to maintain a balance because we know that as a child of God, we are priceless. And we know that we're priceless because Christ died on the cross for us and you can't put a price on that. But we need to have a balance that our value as believers doesn't cause us to be puffed up then with pride to think that we can get away with everything because, well, we're already redeemed, so what difference does it make? We've already been saved by grace, so, you know, what difference does it make? A little bit of sin here or a little bit of sin there. You know, we're not untouchable, but we have value. And I think the biggest problem we have in, in the world today is people don't value one another anymore. Um, and, and we see that here. Eliphaz, or Satan, should I say, knows what button to push. He basically says to, to Job through Eliphaz, you're worthless. Do you, what, you're speaking a load of rubbish. You don't know what you're talking about. You're speaking a pile of nonsense. You are not worth anything. The second button that Satan pushes through Eliphaz is in regard to Job's intellect. The last thing we want anybody to say to us is to say, well, you're so stupid. The one button we feel that can be pushed quite easily is when somebody not only has a go with us about our value, but has a go with us about our intellect. Um, He says in verse 7, Art thou the first man that was born? Or wast thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God? And dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What? Knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? With us are both the grey-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father. Eliphaz is really sarcastic here when it comes to talking about Job's intellect. Mockingly, he basically says, well, are, you the, are you the first person to be born then? Are you, remember what Job said to them? Well, well, when you die, wisdom's going to die with you. So it's like Eliphaz is almost getting to the point of, well, anything you can say, I can say better. Oh, you're the first man to be born? Uh, Were you born before the hills were created? Do you know the secrets of God? Is wisdom only limited to you? Do you claim to understand something that we don't know? Just because they had grey hair and they were elderly, and remember now that the grey-haired man was respected in these days because they were um, deemed to be quite wise and what they're saying is is because we've got more gray hair than you we are wiser than you um it's not always the case but eliphaz is saying job who do you think you are 
you haven't got a monopoly on intellect. Nobody likes to be accused of being thick or stupid or, you know, and it hurts when people say to us how dull we are because we believe in something we can't see. I was watching somebody the other day and um, it, I, I think he was a, a secular comedian. He wasn't a, a Christian. Um, I don't think anyway um, because uh, he used a bit of choice language at one point. But he was basically commenting on the difference between um, atheists and, and Christians. Uh, and he was like, you know, atheists mock the Christian because they believe that God, who you can't see, created everything. Whereas they believe far more intellectually that nothing which you can't see created everything. And when you put it like that, it's quite comical. You know, we are mocked for believing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we're mocked for believing that, um, you know, that the, the earth isn't millions and billions of years old. We're mocked for where it always tickles me where they think, oh, well, around about 3.6 million years ago, we think this might have happened. But 4.6 billion years ago, one second after the Big Bang, this definitely happened. But the Christian is mocked for believing in creation. The Christian's mocked for believing in the virgin birth. The Christian's mocked for believing uh, in God. Um, and sometimes that, that does touch a nerve because people question our intellect. Well, you must, be, you must be of low intelligence to believe God. Paul was one of the most intelligent people to have lived. Um, and yet he quite clearly believed God. He, he, he wasn't a dull person. Um, but the world today will mock us for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We understand that the wisdom of this world is different to the wisdom that God gives us. Eliphaz is really pushing a button here. He's saying to Job, you're worthless. You know, you, you don't even deserve to speak because when you speak, just nonsense is coming out of your mouth. But not only are you worthless, you haven't got an intelligent bone in your body. You, you are uh, just beyond uh, anything. To, um, you, know, you, you, you don't compare to wisdom whatsoever. And I wonder how... Job must have felt after already being so low physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. He is, he can't get much lower. You ever notice that, that at your lowest point, the devil always knows who to send at the right time to say the wrong thing? You know that straw that breaks the camel's back? I always refer to it, remember Buckaroo? You know, you used to like load that stuff onto the buckaroo and you just need that one little thing that's a little bit too heavy for the, the horse to flip. And, and sometimes when we are battling and battling and battling, we're at our lowest and you think, well, at least it can't get any worse. And then the devil says, I know who I can send. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, it can't get worse. Uh, isn't it amazing that the devil knows what buttons to push? He knew what buttons to push with Job and he knows what buttons to push with us. 
He pushes buttons in regards to our value, in regards to our intellect, in regards to our relationship. Eliphaz says in verse 11, Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why doth thine heart carry thee away? And what do thine eyes wink at? Thou that turneth thy spirit against God, and lettest such words go out of thy mouth. He said in verse 4, Yea, thou castest off fear, and restrainest prayer before God. What Eliphaz is doing here, he's basically attacking Job's relationship with the Lord. Um, he's saying, look, you, you, you can't even be bothered to pray. That's what he's effectively saying in, in verse 4. Thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer from before God. He says, is God's comfort not good enough for you? Do you have any gentleness or secret thing in you? What has robbed you of your common sense and reasoning? Why are you in such a rage before God if you're so angry with the Lord? Therefore, you don't have any kind of relationship with him. Let me tell you something. You can be frustrated with somebody and you can not understand why somebody's doing something. And you can even be angry with somebody and still be in a relationship with them. I tell you this, Joe gets angry with me all the time. If I haven't done something or if I said I would do something and I forgot. And, but that doesn't mean that we don't love one another as much as we do. You know, just because Job didn't know why this was going on, it didn't mean that he didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I mean, he's going to say in a few chapters time, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And what a statement. Like everyone forget now, there's no Bible at this point. Um, this is this predates Moses, so there's no Pentateuch. There's, uh, you know, he doesn't have any Old Testament. Maybe just a bit of word of mouth passed on from some of the patriarchs before. But he said, I know my Redeemer lives. We know that he has a, a good relationship with the Lord because the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant? Job. But of course, um, even though Job was a spiritual man, even though he was a godly man, he was being falsely accused of being against God, of being a, a bad man. Eliphaz didn't know that God actually held, held Job up in quite high regard. You know, when we look at the beginning of Job, this was a man who was upright, a man who eschewed evil. Um, God saw, or what God saw in Job and what Eliphaz saw in Job were completely different things. Um, remember when Samuel was looking to uh, anoint one of Jesse's sons and he saw all these strapping lads and he was like, yes, that's the one. Oh, yes, no, no, that's the one. No, 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 that's the one. And then David rocks up and Samuel's like, what? Literally the rent of the litter. And God said, Samuel, you're looking at the wrong thing. You were looking at the outward appearance. And yeah, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. But God was looking at the heart. God was looking at the inside of man. Eliphaz may have looked at Job, and, and we know from his outward appearance, the three friends were gobsmacked. For seven days, they couldn't even speak. So Job's outward appearance must have been horrendous. But Eliphaz is concentrating on the outward appearance. And he doesn't see the relationship that Job has with the Lord. It's interesting to note that even the Lord Jesus Christ himself was accused of being a wicked man. Um, this is somebody who 
knew no sin. This is somebody who could not sin. And yet he was attacked by the religious leaders of the day. They even accused him of being demon-possessed. They accused him of performing miracles by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil. Uh, Mark 3.22, the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. You know, somebody might accuse you of being something you're not. So I think one of the one of the worst things that somebody can say to us, and I know I've said this to other people before, and looking back on it now is probably not the right thing to say, is when people say you are meant to be a Christian. A Christian wouldn't act like that. And that does cause us to become defensive. When somebody says, Oh, call yourself a Christian, we do it, it pushes our buttons. And you might say, Well, Perhaps it's because there's a little bit of truth in that, that you shouldn't be acting that way as a Christian, or you shouldn't be saying that as a Christian. Um, this world and the religions of this world reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And we recognize the fact that, you know, we have a relationship with him. Uh, and there might come a, a, a point in this world or in this time when, we're really going to have to stand up for the Lord, to stand up for our beliefs, to stand up for our faith, because the world's going to say, no, you can't say that anymore. You can't think like that anymore. You know, how far are we away from the thought police coming in and saying, no, you can't advertise your Christmas programs on social media because that goes against our, you know, our community values. John said this in 1 John 2.22, Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You know, the worship of God, the love for the scripture, the, you know, the desire to be in church is, is, is a hot topic for today. Um, and sometimes people are going to push our button and question our relationship with the Lord. Question our intellect for even wanting to have a walk with the Lord. Question our value. And then the other final button we're going to look at tonight. When Eliphaz questions Job's testimony. Says in verse 14, what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. What Eliphaz is doing here is basically addressing indirectly the issue of Job's sinfulness. Now then, Job never claimed to be sinless. Job didn't turn around and say, look, what God is doing to me is unfair because I have not sinned. What Job was asking is, why is this happening? And that's a natural thing to ask. Why is this happening to me? And we know that Job wasn't being punished because he was sinful. Job was being tested because he was righteous. Not sinless, righteous. Righteous just means in a right standing. Uh, you are righteous because you are in a right standing with God. Eliphaz here is, and, and, and he's not technically saying anything that's wrong. Um, you know, what is man that he should be clean? You know, and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. He's saying that 
saying biblical things. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's, you know, that's not a divine revelation. That's just a basic fact. There is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous in his own worth. We get that. Job has never claimed that. But what Eliphaz is basically saying, he's, he's, he's attacking Job in regards to his testimony. Eliphaz is saying, Job, you're not as righteous as you claim to be. You know, you're not as uh, good, you're just a sinner. And again, Job has never claimed not to be a sinner. That was true. Job was a sinner. But Eliphaz is, is kind of pushing those buttons to, to beat Job down. You know, and it does, it does hurt when somebody has a go at us because of our testimony. And it should hurt. Because our testimony should be such that it brings glory to God. Our testimony should be such that it points others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our testimony ought not to be something that people look at and go, well, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you go there? Why would you act like that when you're meant to be different? When, when you say that you're a Christian, when you say that you are Christ, like when you say that you go to church. You know, we recognize the fact that we are still just sinners. We're not perfect. You know, we, we've said that many times. I've heard many people pray that, that we are just sinners saved by grace. We don't claim to be righteous. We don't claim to be super spiritual. We don't claim um, to be perfect because we're not. But we should strive to have a testimony that speaks to a lost world. Remember, Paul said that we are an epistle. An open letter to be read by everybody. We've said that many times before, we might be the only Bible a lost person will ever read. Uh, and we want to maintain that testimony. So when somebody questions our testimony, we, we do get a bit defensive. It pushes a button. Because somebody then questions our integrity. Questions our, our genuineness when it comes to our walk with the Lord. You know, how many times, and, I, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had people say this to me about, you know, and I've said this to other preachers as well. How, how did you know that? Why did you preach that message about me? Listen, when I got saved, I couldn't believe that Joe's pastor knew stuff about me that I'd not even told Joe. And I'm like, so how does he know this stuff? Well, he didn't know nothing about me. He just preached the gospel and God was convicted me. But I have had people, you know, in this church and in other churches I've spoken in come up to me quite angry because they thought that I have spoken about them from the pulpit. I don't know what anybody goes through. I don't know. I, listen, I haven't got secret cameras everywhere. I don't know what you're up to. And if something I say from the pulpit is... Step on your toes and remove your toes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't mean to kind of get on a hobby horse and, 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 and have a go with people. I'm, I'm not scrolling through Facebook and seeing what each and every one of you has posted and what, what pictures you're putting up and where have you been and what have you been eating. And I, I, I haven't got time for that. So if I do say something that is close to the mark, that's not me. God speaking to you. But what would you rather? Would you rather the truth be 
proclaim from the pulpit and it make us uncomfortable every now and again and we do something about it? Or do we just want to get preachers in that'll just tickle our ears every single Sunday and just make us feel good about everything? That's not going to help. You know, we don't like it when our faults are addressed because our pride, and I don't like it. If, you know, when I finally get an opportunity to listen to somebody else preach and they step on my toes, I'm like, I'd rather be up there telling everybody else what they're doing wrong than somebody telling me what I'm doing wrong. You know, we should preach against sin because that's thus saith the Lord. We should preach the whole counsel of God. We shouldn't sugarcoat the gospel and, and water down um, doctrines like, like hell and sin and, and those type of issues. When God calls our number and his, this, the Holy Spirit taps on our shoulder, guess what? We ought to listen and we ought to put things right. And we ought to do something about it. And we, we judge ourselves, deal with our sinfulness, disobedience, whatever it is, put it right and move on so that our testimony can remain intact. That's why Paul said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be retrobites. And then Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3.40, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let me tell you something. The devil knew exactly what buttons to push with Job. He knew exactly how to use Eliphaz. Job is, has already felt like I'm sure he's gone 15 rounds. And I don't think he's ready for another round. But the devil just doesn't give up. You know, we kind of get knocked down and we think, I, I, can't, I, I, I can't get the strength to get back up on my feet. But the devil still knows what buttons to push today. Because he'll question your value. I don't know what you're talking about. Did you really mean that when you accepted the Lord as your saviour? Is this salvation thing real? You know, when you pray, does, does that kind of make any sense? Does God really hear that? Any questions our value? But let me tell you something. You are valued. You are worth something. Because you are worth the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross of Calvary for you. That's how much you're worth. And then the devil questions your intellect. Oh, you're stupid to believe that. Surely God couldn't have done that. Surely God couldn't have created the world in six days. Surely God couldn't have brought a, a, a child uh, from a virgin. Surely um, God couldn't have performed all of these miracles. You're so stupid to believe something like that. Let me tell you something. There's a lot more stupid people in the world today that believe a lot more stupid stuff than just having faith that the scripture is true. Uh, nobody questions them, but they question your intellect. And they question your testimony. And you know what? Sometimes, if there's no truth in it, it doesn't hurt us as a... If somebody says something like, yeah, Joe says this all the time, you know, and, oh, if somebody says something and there's, there's no truth in it, it doesn't really hurt. But if there's the slightest bit of truth in it, it really stings. And maybe the devil knows that he can push that button when it comes to our relationship with him and then our testimony towards others because sometimes our relationship isn't what it should be and our testimony isn't as perfect or as good or as bright as it should be. You know, we've got an incredible opportunity 
as we walk with the Lord, to be able to witness to other people through our lives. And I'll say it again, if our Bible reading is lax, then what does that say about our relationship with the Lord? If our prayer time is lacking, what does that say about our commitment to the Lord? If our desire to be in his church is not what it should be, then what does that say about our relationship with him and our testimony to other people? Satan knows what buttons to push. Now, I'm going to say two things. Don't let Satan use you to push somebody else's buttons. Because put yourself then in their position. Would you like it if somebody come up to you and said that to you? You know, if we see somebody overtaking a fault, we're to go to them in a spirit of meekness with a desire to help. Eliphaz didn't have a spirit of meekness. His desire was not to help Job. His desire was to push Job down so he could elevate himself up. What he's saying is, is you were stupid. I'm the one who's got all the wisdom. What he's saying is, is you were sinful. I'm the one who's far more righteous than you are. What he's saying is, you have got a rubbish relationship with the Lord, but my relationship is absolutely perfect. He was saying that you have no value and you ought to be quiet and you listen to me because I'm going to set things right. Thankfully, we have the end of the chapter and we know that God is going to end up and say to Job, Job, (laughs) you need to make some offerings for these idiots that have just been speaking. So God does put that right. But Satan knows what buttons to push today. Don't let him push those buttons and don't let him use you push those buttons with other people and recognise the fact that we don't want to be an Eliphaz. We don't want to be a Bildad. We don't want to be a Zophar. Out of those men, we want to be a Job. Times of trouble will come into our lives, but don't allow that to cause you to walk away from the Lord. Allow that to cause you to drive closer to the Lord and to cling to him tighter than ever. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time together, this opportunity to come around your word, Lord. Just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would help us recognise when somebody is being used um, by the devil to push those buttons in our lives, Lord, and help us to not be that type of person, Lord. Help us to be somebody who would encourage and build up rather than somebody that would destroy and tear down. So, Father, we just prayed you would just continue to speak to our hearts tonight and help us in this regard, in our lives, Lord, and in the lives of others. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, everyone, for joining us online. And what I would say to everybody, what I would say to everybody who's joining us online, um, and I'm going to mention this to everybody in the church tonight as well. Um, um, we have put some, some things up on um, Facebook tonight for our cantatas and for our candlelit cattle service. Um, so please, 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 can you share it? Um, we want to get as many people as possible into the church on Friday the 15th and Sunday the 17th and then for our candlelit cattle service um, at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. So please um, share those events. Um, if you feel embarrassed to invite somebody to church, then stick it out on, on, on your uh, social media pages and just kind of invite as many people as possible. 
Um, we will be live on Sunday at 11 o'clock. Um, so we will see you all there um, at 11 on Sunday and then at 6 in the evening. Thank you, Rick. Okay, um, yeah, so um, if you can um, share what we put out today, um, we've, um, we've, we've put out some um, adverts for the cantatas and for the candlelit cow service, um, so if you can just, if you are on social media, if you're not on social media, it's not the end of the world, please don't panic but if you are can you share it can you can you like it I just um, we do live in a digital age uh, we are going to be sending out thousands of leaflets on Saturday um, but for those who do everything online um, we have got far more reach um, whether we like it or not we've got far more reach through the computer uh, than we have through the letterbox so um, if you have social media Please like it, express an interest in, in coming or going, and then if you can share it, just so that other people can see it, because if you share it and your friends see it, and then they share it and their friends see it, um, if five people, if one person shares and five people share, just from 25 people you can reach over 5,000 people. Um, it's, just, it's just the way it works, so... I know it's uh, not everybody's cup of tea, but if you can do that, then um, we can invite as many people as possible. 